Good morning, everyone. Good morning. It's, uh, it's great to be here. Um, it is uh, always, for me, when I come here, which isn't super often, but every time I get to come here, it is an absolute privilege and an honour and, and a blessing to be uh, preaching the Word of God in this place. And uh, I get a little bit nostalgic whenever I visit here, and I thought this week as I was leading up to coming here, I was reminded of a couple of three different meetings uh, that are part of the history of this uh, congregation, this church. The first is uh, the first open meeting we had, which was probably almost five years ago. We had a meeting in the treehouse back at Allgate and invited those who were interested in being part of a church plant to come along. And, and I put up on the whiteboard in the treehouse here are the pros and the cons of you getting involved in this thing. I said, there's going to be lots of blessings that I could see coming out of this and lots of exciting things, but at the same time, I'm going to be really honest with you, there's also going to be some challenges and some costs and some sacrifices. Who was at that meeting? Put your hands up. Not heaps. It's awesome. That's, uh, I remember that meeting. And I also remember a time when I had a coffee with Dave Shepherd. And Dave had been, uh, I found out that Dave was considering taking a ministry position at another church. And I was like, what? I didn't know Dave was interested in actually going into ministry. So I quickly got, arranged a coffee with him. But I think the coffee shop was closed because we ended up walking around the neighbourhood of Highgate. And uh, I just tried to uh, encourage him that God's plan was for him to, be, <laughs> to stay with us. And... Um, and then I remember meeting with Robin um, at uh, the Uradla pub, I think, for lunch. And, uh, and I shared again with him a sense that I felt that he would be a great person to have on our team. That God had already sowed a seed in his heart where he had said that uh, I'd, I'd be interested in potentially taking a ministry position out of his Baptist Lord Aid job. What I'd absolutely love to do would be to go and be part of Fields Baptist. And uh, so I spoke into, into that. God had already paved the way. And God weaves things together for his plan. And God had a plan for this, this church, this congregation before, you know, uh, before we even dreamed up the idea. God already had plans in place and God's brought it together. It's such an encouragement to see what God is doing amongst you all. So be encouraged that God is good and he is here and he is at work. Amen. Uh, this morning I want to bring a message, um, for about seven months this year, uh, back at Allgate, we preached through the book of Romans. And uh, there's one little message in that, that uh, there's a passage that I think, maybe I hadn't even noticed in Romans before we preached through it, that stood out to me, that just zooms in on who God is. And this morning I want to bring that to you because I, I just felt like... Uh, nothing better than to draw our attention 100% on God and who He is and His character and not think too much about ourselves, but just think about God and His greatness. And so I'm going to share with you a passage from uh, Romans chapter 11, verse 33 to 36. You can open that up uh, if you've got a Bible in front of you in a form like this or on your phone. But uh, yeah, thanks, Nick, you put it up there. Let's, uh, let's read Romans 11. Uh, verse 33 to 36, it is four verses in total, but it's just what it says is just so wonderful. Oh, the depths 
of the riches of the wisdom and the knowledge of God. How unsearchable his judgments and his paths beyond tracing out. Who has known the mind of the Lord? Or who has been his counsellor? Who has ever given to God that God should repay them? For from him and through him and for him are all things to him be the glory forever. Amen. Amen. I don't know if you've ever climbed a mountain and got to the top and looked out over a view that has taken your breath away. Probably the, the, the story that the experience that I remember the most of climbing a mountain was uh, probably three years ago now in uh, Indonesia when we visited Hohidiai and we had the opportunity to climb a volcano there. One of the world's most active volcanoes. It's been continually erupting for about 30 years. And we, uh, we left at 2 o'clock in the morning. We planned to get an early night, but we'd been at a service there of worship and God had done some amazing stuff, so we had a late night. We got about three hours sleep. We got up at 2 in the morning. We got going and we arrived and parked um, at the bottom of this volcano. Well, you know, it's down the bottom of the mountain. Uh, at four in the morning and we started walking and we hiked in darkness for a couple of hours then the, then the dawn came and we kept hiking up and up and up and uh, we eventually reached this plateau a sort of filled with, uh, with lava um, dust stuff um, not sure the official type term uh, I'll call it lava dust stuff and then we made the final climb uh, over this giant uh, rock um, sort of uh, section and, <laughs> and and then we got to the volcano the cone of the volcano and we, we climbed that and it was by this point we'd been walking for about five hours then we climbed over the rocks and then we finally climbed up the cone of the volcano which was incredibly hard climbing on, on this sandy larvary stuff and we got to the top and you could look, uh, lie down on your tummy and look into the bottom of the volcano which had uh, the, the smoke rising up and then you could look the other way and look down out uh, from the top of this uh, mountain out over the most incredible view and it was breathtaking. You know, it was, it was uh, feeling so small and powerlessness uh, and powerless and, and small in comparison with the power and the might of this volcano and then the scale of the view. It was just breathtaking. I don't know if you've ever had an experience like that. But uh, Romans chapter 11, uh, if you're going to understand it in context, is the Apostle Paul, he has spent 11 chapters expanding the view and showing us the view of the greatness of God and of the gospel. He has shown us this most incredible, majestic and profound view of how amazing God's saving grace and his plan for humanity is. His plan to save people. And he spent 11 chapters expanding that and it's almost when he reaches this, these verses in the end of chapter 11 that he looks out and he's given us, in fact, he's given us the greatest uh, exposition of the gospel in the whole of scripture and then he looks out and he thinks about the whole lot and he actually just breaks out in praise. 
about how great God is. He's taught us sanctification by salvation by grace and justification by faith that we're, that's just like we're not, we've never even sinned before when we come to Jesus. He's taught us about how we've been united with Christ in his death and in his resurrection, a new life, freedom in Christ, life in the spirit, eternal hope, eternal hope, sure and certain hope, God's perfect plan for salvation. How is God ever going to redeem a people who had turned their back on him and a people who sinned and were imperfect and he was a holy God? How would God ever bring reconciliation? But he had a plan, a perfect plan for Jews and for Gentiles, for everyone. And someone once said about this passage, like a mountain climber who reaches the summit of an Alps ascent, the apostle turns and contemplates. Depths are at his feet, but waves of light illuminate them, and there spreads all around an immense horizon which his eye commands. And this passage in, in uh, uh, Romans 11, if you've got your Bible open, you'll see it's often referred to as a, a doxology. And what's a doxology? Well, well, doxology is two Greek words, doxa, meaning glory, and, and uh, the other one, the logia, meaning saying. So it means basically saying glory, giving glory. This is about giving glory to God. And I kind of want to start by asking the question, when was the last time... You have been so moved by God and by the gospel, so captivated by God, that you have just responded in praise. You know, just so in that space. And maybe that happened five minutes ago for you in worship. I mean, to be honest, the acoustics in this room are terrible. And you rarely hear worship coming from the room because of the acoustics, but this morning I heard worship coming from the congregation. What a wonderful thing. Uh, but, but what a thing when you get so caught up in God, so focused on Him that you just praise God because let me tell you, if you truly capture who God is, you will praise God. Yeah. That is the only natural response. In fact, there will be a point in the future when, when and all people will capture who God is and it says that in that moment every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus is the Lord. Yeah, like every tongue, those who have never known who Jesus is, those who have never put their trust in, there will be a point where every knee will bow and every tongue will confess. Because yeah. when we see God for who he really is, the natural response yeah. is praise. Yeah. So I want to... I want to pray and then I'm going to launch into uh, a breakdown. I'm just going to literally go through this passage bit by bit. Let me pray and then I'll do that. Heavenly Father, may we this morning, every single person here, see your glory, understand in some fresh and new way, uh, or be deeply reminded of your incredible plan, your incredible power, your incredible uh, perfection, and your incredible greatness. May it lead us to a new perspective on you and on ourselves in relation to you. May it lead us to praise. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 Verse 33. Oh, the depths of the riches 
of the wisdom and the knowledge of God. The Cindy here I'm going to start with is talking about wisdom of God and knowledge of God. That's the, that's the heart of verse 33. You know, wisdom is uh, the most profound thing. You, you meet a wise person and you want to spend time with that person. Isn't that true? There's some people you meet and there's a wisdom about them. Generally, elderly people who have been on a journey of faith, who have been on a journey of life, and they've got something about them. Uh, they've allowed those experiences, often difficult experiences through life, to shape them, to take them to a place where they've got something. They've got a wisdom that makes you want to be around them because what they've got to say you want to listen to. And there's a quality about them that's so wonderful. But the wisdom of God is unlike the wisdom of any person. 1 Corinthians says this, it says, For the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, but to those who are being saved, it is the power of, power of God. For it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise. The intelligence of the uh, intelligent I will frustrate. Where is the wise person? Where is the teacher of the law? Where is the philosopher of this age? Has God not made foolish the wisdom of this world? It's fascinating to me that Paul wrote that 2,000 years ago. Because we certainly live in a generation, don't we, don't we, where people have believed that their own wisdom is greater than God's wisdom. People are sort of... Instead of saying, well, God stands up here as, as a judge and I, I submit myself and recognise who I am in relationship to him, like, like when I stood in, in, in next to that volcano, I could recognise that the volcano was more powerful than me. Yeah. But we've actually put ourselves in a place where we can, uh, not we, you know, our, our age, our generation, it takes a perspective of, hey, we are the wise. We are the ones who have got things figured out. In fact, we would like to, we will put God in the place where we are, God is not the judge of us, but we will be the judge of God. Yeah. And C.S. Lewis wrote a book about this. He wrote a book called God in the Dock. He said that something's happened, he was seeing, was happening way back through the, whenever he wrote the book in say the 50s, I'm not sure. He's saying something's happening in our world where it used to be that God was the judge and we were understood that we would be judged by God and now we're, we're doing a switch here where we think we are the judge and God will be judged by us. Yeah. What foolishness that is yeah. and what arrogance that it is that we would ever allow, people would ever let, allow that situation to develop. Yeah. But the wisdom of God is a wisdom, a depth, that we can never fully capture. That's the wisdom of God. What about the knowledge of God? You know, there's, there's two words or three words that, that are kind of big words that capture some way of understanding the knowledge of God. The first is omniscience, which means that God knows all things. And the one that goes with it is omnipresence, which means that God is in all places at all times. So we believe God is here this morning. Um, but doesn't mean that if he's here, he's not back at Allgate, you know? He's there as well. He's actually in every other church in this world. In fact, there's no place you could go in this world where God would not be. Yeah. God is in all places, but he knows all things. The Bible says he knows the number of hairs on our head. It's a larger calculation for some of us than others. So. <laughs> but God knows 
you, you get your head around this. God knows every... The Bible says God perceives our thoughts, our thoughts from afar. Not just every word we speak, but every thought that we have. God knows every thought of every person and every word that's spoken, he hears, of every single person, not just in this room, which would be a fair, a fair thing, a fairly profound thing, if he could know every word and every thought ever spoken by every one of us. But he knows that for every single person in the entire world. And he knows that for every person who's ever lived and whoever will live through all of human history. And he also controls not just individual life, but he involves and he shapes the plans of nations and of rulers and of kings and he's above all of them. And he works every single event and every single moment for all of history and he, he works it all together to fit with his plan and his power to his plan of redemption for the whole world. You think about that. Isn't that incredible? You know, I told a story, we had a, a group here visiting from Indonesia a few months ago, and many of you would have heard them when they shared, and they shared some of their testimonies. What an incredible thing that the way he just works in people's lives, that people from a little island in Indonesia end up sharing their testimonies to us that touches our lives and then our lives touch other people's lives and it kind of fits together and you think about how it was that you came to know Jesus and that came through various people who had their lives touched by other people who heard the gospel through other people and God brings it all together it's part of his plan over wisdom and the knowledge of God Isaiah chapter 55 says, For my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are my ways, uh, neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. As the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts uh, than your thoughts. How, uh, how much do we often, you know, kind of think this? I think there's two mistakes that we can make about God. One is that we uh, would think we've got no way of capturing or understanding God at all, right? Because the Word has revealed to us the character and nature of God. But there's an equal, an equal problem, which is if we think we've got all figured out, God all figured out, right? We think we know everything about God and we can totally explain everything about God. Believe me, there, there is so much about God we can never really comprehend. And the deeper I go into knowing God and understanding God, the more I just understand that God is just way beyond my comprehension. And, and so it's, a, it's an amazing thing. You never reach the end of fully understanding God or his word, or, and, and yet you, you, do, you know more and more about God. But, but the more you know about God, the more you realise God is greater and more above and more powerful and more profound and more perfect than you could ever imagine. And so this passage says, Oh, the depths of the riches of the wisdom of God. So the, the depths of God's riches are deeper than you could ever go. Right? You could go down to, what's the lowest point in the well? little quiz question for you. What's the lowest point on earth? The bottom of the, the Dead Sea. Now, the Mariana Trench. The Dead Sea is the lowest point on earth, the lowest point of, of land on earth, so very good day if you're in there, so uh, at the bottom of the Mariana Trench, you could go to the, there's no point, uh, you know, physically or in understanding 
where you could actually reach the depths of God's uh, knowledge and wisdom. And the riches of God, the riches of his knowledge. You know, the Bible speaks so much about the different kinds of God's riches, in Ephesians particularly. Ephesians chapter 2, he speaks about the riches of his kindness. In chapter 9, the riches of his glory. In chapter 10, it says that he richly blesses us. And in uh, another chapter, it talks about the riches of his mercy. But here it talks about the riches of uh, his wisdom and his knowledge. And it's interesting that we are a world that loves riches. We love riches in this world. We, We pursue riches. We long for riches so often. And the parable of the sower says that that some people hear the word of God, but they're like a, it's like seed sown uh, among thorns. They hear the word, but the worries of this life and the deceitfulness of wealth and the desire for other things comes in and chokes out the word. There's something about material riches that can affect us in a profoundly negative way. But here it talks about a different kind of riches, the riches of the wisdom and the knowledge of God. We need to know and long for the, to know the riches of the wisdom and knowledge of God because there are no riches in this world that compare with those. Oh, the depths of the riches of the wisdom and the knowledge of God. Then it goes on to say how unsearchable his judgments and his paths beyond tracing out. How unsearchable his judgment, his path beyond tracing out. Can you know about God? Can you know his character? Absolutely. But will you ever fully understand his judgments and his path? Absolutely not. There is something about God that's always going to require you just to trust him in the uncertainty of life and of circumstances and of knowing who he is. The two great dangers. One is to say, I can never know anything about God. It's all a mystery. It's all whatever you want it to be. No, that's not true. It's been revealed in the Word. But the other one is when people have such a neat explanation for God and everything's in such a a neat package that God's almost put in a box. They try to contain God. God will never be contained. He'll always expand beyond what you think. And then it goes on to these three questions. And uh, three questions of this, uh, let me get, give you a simple uh, explanation of this passage, is that the answer to all these questions, these three questions, is no. Right? Who has known the mind of the Lord? Who has fully known the mind of the Lord? Answer? No one. Who has ever been his counsellor? You know, there's times in life when I seek out counsel, and I seek mentors, and I seek to... To, you know, I hit situations in ministry or in life where I, I need to go to someone and, and share with them and say, what do you think? You know, I, I, can't, I can't figure this out. I, I, I want to draw on the wisdom of, of your experience and I, I need some help here and, and I don't really know. But you know what? Who has ever been God's counsellor? Who's been the one? Uh, you've ever, have you ever had, you know, been praying and you've heard the voice? Look, uh, can you help me out? I, I just can't figure something out. You know, God's asking you for advice. No, that doesn't happen. If you think that's the case, you were, um, I don't know, you were, you're in another place. Um, who has been God's counsellor? No one's been God's counsellor. God doesn't, 
God doesn't need the council of anyone. And who has ever given to God that God should repay them? The answer here is no one. This is a tricky one. Because in my ministry experience, I've encountered situations where people do believe that they've given to God that he should repay them. They'll hit a situation in their life where they hit a crisis, a terrible thing happens. And I've heard people say to me, uh, I, how has this happened to me? I have been tied into God for the last 15 years. And then how can therefore God allow such a thing to happen to me? I can understand in times of crisis people might feel that way, but let me tell you the truth. No one has ever given to God that he should repay them. You know, everything we give to God, whether it's our finance, whether it's our time, whether it's our gifts, do you know where all of that came from? came from God. We only give back to God what he's already given to us. Everything we have is a gift. The fact that you woke up this morning and you had air in your lungs to breathe and you, and you could open your eyes to look out and see the day and you could get yourself to church and you could lift up your voice to praise God. Everything that you have is a gift. Everything we give back to God, we only give out of what he's already given to us. Who has ever given to God that God should repay them? No one. And then really he just wraps it up with this profound statement. He says, for from him and through him and for him are all things. There's not too much of a more comprehensive statement than that. For, for from him, all things are from him. For through him, all things happen through him. And for him, all things are for him. Uh, that is an incredible statement. Let me try and find my notes. Um, God is the source of all things. For from him, God is the means or the agent by which all things happen through him. And God is the goal to which all things are moving to him. And in view of all of that, Paul's final conclusion, the only true conclusion that can be drawn is this. To him be glory forever. Amen. Amen. I want to say to you this morning that God is bigger than you think. God is bigger than you think. I don't know how big you think God is, and I don't know how big He is in your understanding and in your comprehension, but I can tell you this, God is bigger than you think. So often we limit God, or we, we don't realise how great He is, or how big He is, or how perfect He is, or how great His plan is, but God is bigger than you think. And in past generations, uh, they had a great reverence for God. It was not so long ago. There has been a shift in, in the way Christians think about God. And some of it is good and some of it is not so good. Because a few generations ago, people genuinely feared God. Yeah. And there was something about that that was kind of unhealthy because they missed that God was loving perhaps and intimate and with us. And we could absolutely pour out our hearts to God and know his embrace and all of those things that we know today. But what they did have that perhaps we missed was a, a reverence and an awe for God. And I think what's happened is we've moved towards, you know, thinking God and, and, and singing about and believing that, that God just wants to kind of embrace us and He's with us and He loves us and absolutely He is. But I wonder if we've lost some reverence for God. Yeah. I wonder if we've lost some of the awe of God. Yeah. 
that when you kind of stand, like, like standing on the edge of that volcano that day, we had a group of about eight of us, and one person in our group was so profoundly in awe of the power of that volcano that she ran, she got overwhelmed by fear and ran off that mountain. She just got out of there because she was scared for her life. Because this volcano was erupting. It was powerful. It was shaking the ground. In, when we stand in, in, in God's presence, there should be a sense where we're completely free just to share with Him everything and to know His love and to know His affection. But there should be another part of us that almost shakes because of the power of God. So, uh, uh, Earlier this year, we, we went on a young adult camp and Mike Mills, who's the state minister of Baptist churches, came and spoke. And he shared a quote by C.S. Lewis from the Narnia series. And something about it touched our young adults. And I think the reason it touched our young adults is because of this thing where they perhaps have lost the sense of the awe and power of God. And he told the story, so I'm going to quote from Narnia, about when the children are going to meet Aslan. And if you, if, who's read the Narnia series? Who knows what I'm talking about? A lot of people. That's good. Because if you don't, it sounds a little weird as I explain it. So there's some children who go into a, a magical land. And the whole story of Narnia is an allegory for the gospel. Right? It's written by C.S. Lewis, a Christian. It's an allegory for the gospel. And there's a, a character in the book, a lion, who's called Aslan. He's the Jesus figure. He's representing Jesus. And the children are about to go and meet Aslan. Right? And they happen to be talking to some beavers. And that's what's a bit weird in the story, <laughs> talking beavers. Um, they're going to go and meet Aslan. And this is the story uh, from, this, from this book. Uh, is he a man? They're asking about Aslan. Is he a man? Asked Lucy. Aslan, a man? Said Mr. Beaver sternly. Certainly not. I tell you, he's the king of the woods and the son of the great emperor beyond the sea. Don't you know who is the king of the beasts? Aslan is a lion. The lion. The great lion. Oh, said Susan. I thought he was a man. Is he quite safe? I should feel rather nervous about meeting a lion. Well, that you will, dearie, and make no mistake, said Mrs. Beaver. If there's anyone who can appear before Aslan without their knees knocking... They're either braver than, braver than most or just silly. Then he isn't safe, said Lucy. Safe, said Mr. Beaver. Don't you hear what Mrs. Beaver tells you? Who said anything about safe? Of course he isn't safe. But he is good. He's the king, I tell you. Yeah. And I want to just remind you that our God is the king and Jesus is the king of kings and it says in Revelation this passage about Jesus let me tell you about the kind of Jesus who is powerful it says in Revelation 19 then I saw heaven open and there before me was a white horse whose rider is called faithful and true and with justice he judges and wages war his eyes are like blazing fire and on his head are many crowns and he has a name written on him that no one knows but himself. And he is dressed in a robe dipped in blood. And his name is the word of God. And the armies of heaven are following him, riding on white horses. 
and dressed in fine linen, white and clean. And coming out of his mouth is a sharp sword with which to strike down the nations. He will rule them with an iron scepter. He treads the winepress of the fury of the wrath of God Almighty. And on his robe and on his thigh, he has a name written, King of Kings and Lord of Lords. That's my God. That is the God that I serve. That is a powerful and mighty God. And I want to tell you that God is bigger than you realise. And he is bigger than your problems. And he is bigger than your pain. And he is bigger than the enemy. And he is bigger than your fears. And he is bigger than your greatest temptation. And he is bigger than the sin that you struggle with. And he's bigger than the devil. Come on, someone say, Amen. Amen. And he is bigger than all those who oppose him in this world. He's bigger than any law that gets put in place that limits Christianity or the proclamation of the gospel. He's bigger than all of it. He's bigger than this generation. He's bigger than the whole of history. He is bigger than everyone and everything. Our God is bigger than you realise. And surely in response to that, we can do a couple of things. Firstly, we can live boldly because our God is bigger. We had a prayer meeting a few months ago and someone wrote on butcher's paper uh, a quote that I absolutely love as I read that. And I don't know who wrote it and I preached this sermon at Allgate and no one came forward and claimed it. So it's probably someone in the room here. They wrote on that bit of paper, don't tell God about your mountain, tell your mountain about your God. Don't tell God about your mountain, tell your mountain about your God. You want to go to the mountain, so often we're like, oh, oh God, we go to God, oh God, I've got this terrible mountain in front of me, I've got this terrible mountain, what am I going to do? No, maybe we need to go to the mountain and say, mountain, you've got to, you've got to know. But you want to know about my God? He's bigger than you. He's bigger than you. There is power in the name of Jesus to overcome. Secondly, so first we're going to live bigger, uh, boldly because God is bigger. And secondly, we can trust him in uncertainty. Because if your God is small, then uncertainty is bigger than God. And in uncertainty, you, you just get overwhelmed. But if you actually know God is bigger than your problem, then we can actually trust God in uncertainty. Because we know that he's bigger. We know that his plan is bigger. We know that his plan is perfect. And we know that he can overcome his sovereign plan is greater. And there's so many times when we don't know what God is doing. But God is bigger, and so we can trust Him in our uncertainty. I'm going to finish by sharing with you a song we used to sing back at my old church, Dunley Park, and it was taken from the words of the book of Job. And every time we sung it, I could guarantee you I could look around the room and I would see people with tears in their eyes. Because this song spoke about praising God in uncertainty because of His greatness. And there would be people going through all sorts of situations and this song would always touch them. It's a song called, Who Can Know the Mind of Our Creator? And we're like this. Who can know the mind of our Creator? Who can speak of wonders yet unseen? Who can reach the heights of understanding to play the notes of wisdom's melody? Who has weighed the dust of every mountain? Who has walked the mysteries of the deep? Who has laid the earth on its foundation? And who conducts the waves upon the sea? And then it would go into the chorus. I stand in awe of you. I stand in awe of you. So glorious and true. I stand in awe of you. There are people here this morning, I'm sure, who are in that place 
where you are faced by difficult, almost overwhelming circumstances. You wrestle and struggle with things that are, are so powerful, they seem so big, and they are big. But there's something about saying, God, I don't know what you're doing, and I don't know exactly your plan in this, but I can say these words, I stand in awe of you, and I will praise you because I know your greatness, and I know your goodness, and I know your power. And so even in my circumstance of not knowing, I will still praise you because I've seen how good you are and I know how great you are and I don't know what's going on but I stand in awe of you. Why? Because from him and through him and for him are all things to God be the glory forever. Amen. Let's pray as the comes up. Heavenly Father, may we be a people who, who get a right perspective on life and eternity and a right perspective on who we are and a right perspective on who you are, a right perspective on our problems and our struggles. May we place them in the light of your greatness and your goodness and know that you are above all and in all and through all. And may all that we do be for you. We praise your name in Jesus' name. Amen. You've been listening to a sermon from Hills Baptist Church. To find out more or to hear other great content, find us at hillsbaptist.com or on your podcast app.